Welcome to the first Instillery Top Shelf Tech Chat. Um, I'm Jeremy, Chief Product Officer and Technology Officer at the Instillery, um, and I've got Ryan Joe with me today, uh, Product Manager at the Instillery, and we're going to talk about 10 gig fiber, uh, ultra fiber, um, or um, hyperfiber as it's been called. So, Ryan, there was a trial that kicked off late last year by a couple of LFCs. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, look, I know it's uh, pretty limited availability and stuff. I remember being around when uh, GPON products first launched when I was working in product management at Spark and how much that kind of changed the industry. Uh, be interesting to see how much this changes things up and what that actually means for consumers, price points, that kind of stuff. I think that's yeah. the key. Um, you mentioned GPON, uh, which is a, a ability to split the light waves, basically share it between multiple consumers. That's really the big change here around these products being available on GPON networks. Uh, actually, 10 gig fiber has been available for a long time if you were either willing to pay a lot for it or light it yourself. A lot for it, yeah. Yeah, a lot for, <laughs> a lot for it. So um, so it's really about the, uh, kind of becoming a commodity, I guess, um, and, and that I, makes it available to a bunch of other businesses or end users that may not have had it before. Mm. Yeah, yeah, hopefully at a much lower price point. I remember back uh, probably five years ago when we were still running one gig handovers to service, you know, thousands of customers, and here we are having 10 gigs to homes, like, directly to consumers. It's crazy. Yeah, well, I think the, the first one gig products before um, GPON came in, you know, you're paying probably about $1,500, $1,600 a month retail, and then with um, GPON products, you immediately drop that down to uh, sort of a 150 200 bucks. So it's a massive change and um, means that I guess we can now get, get high-speed connectivity into a um, lot more businesses and people's homes. But what are people going to use it for? What do people need 10 gig for? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I don't know. I mean, like, <clears throat> I think that when you look at what most people are using today, even running 4K and 8K, what, like, what's a 4K stream, like 25 megs or something yeah, like something that? Yeah, something like that, yeah. And I think 8K is around about 100 or something like that. If you're thinking about running 100 8K video streams within your home, yeah. maybe it's a great <laughs> idea. But uh, yep. I think most of the issue is going to be people are not having issues on the access, uh, the last mile access anyway. Yeah, it's stuff yeah. like... Wi-Fi limitations, it's in-home stuff, it's old devices, all sorts of stuff. I think we'll come back to that because I think that's a key point, right? You, you're, up, you're upgrading the last mile access, but there's a whole lot of other pieces that actually also need to um, to be upgraded. But you mentioned in 4K, 8K, uh, you know, we're expecting more VR streams and stuff into homes, but also gaming starting to shift now. So Google announced... Uh, Stadia. Yeah, so streamed gaming, so you're not actually, you know, keeping all your processing power and that on your local console. So that's, you know, idea being you get a cheaper device um, in your home. You don't need to fork out, you know, 500 bucks for the latest um, PlayStation. You pay a subscription, you stream it down. So it's kind of a shift as well, I guess, from, um, you know, services, be, you know, you're running that stuff in the house to actually streaming a lot more uh, different stuff. And everybody talks about, you know, things being, you know, doing what Netflix did to, um, to video on it. It's probably kind of the same with Stadia and, um, and gaming. Yeah, I don't know. I'm really interested in how Stadia goes, to be honest. Um, you know, Eric got one uh, with the only um, pops being overseas. It's quite yep. a massive latency, and latency, I think, is going to be, we experience a massive issue. I'm still really intrigued as to how they're going to get it down. They've got some op latency optimization thing. Um, how they're actually going to get it down because, you know, physical distance is physical distance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, speed of light, right, speed yeah. of light. You can't uh, change a lot of that. So if you think about bandwidth requirements, is 10 gig going to change any of that? No, not at all. Um, 
I, I think that that's a key point. A lot of people still don't um, understand the difference between latency, uh, which is the time for something to go from point A to point B, uh, to bandwidth, which is the number of things you can send um, at any one time. So 10 gig, we're adding more lanes to the road, yeah. but we're not necessarily making the road shorter or bring the destination uh, closer to you. So gaming, which is you know latent, um, latency sensitive and other applications, um, you know, the, the speed of light is the speed of light, which is what fibre runs over. Mm. To some extent, this doesn't fix it, but there may be other things that come that sort of start to address that, uh, closer delivery out of peering exchanges or local pop sites. But I think that's um, that, that's one of the things that people have sort of talked about um, with, with fibre, and uh, in particular, there's been talk about unbundling and, and how that may help create products that are very specific uh, for use cases like gaming. But even with unbundling, uh, so therefore not, not using the ISP's um, equipment you, um, or the LFC's equipment using your own equipment to light it as a, um, typically a, as an ISP, doesn't necessarily solve that problem either. No, I remember looking at that, or more specifically looking at economics at it very early on. You know, when GPON first launched and they set a date for when unbundled, uh, they would unbundle the fibre network uh, we had an initial think around at Spark around what we were going to do with that. I don't think there was any definitive conclusion, but it really came down to do the economics make sense. Yeah, yeah, and I think with the, I mean the price point of um, the wholesale inputs for GPON fibre are so low. You kind of you do wonder if there's a commercial case for it, and so you, I think you really are almost trying to find um, those you know specific use cases where you could build a, a product, a fibre product that's built for a very um, you know, um, specific end user requirements. H however, you, you probably only find that stuff is economically viable in major centres anyway. So mm. I don't know. Um, I'm not. Um, I'm not convinced that unbundling is actually going to add a whole lot. Uh, I remember when we looked at it for um, DSL, and I recall vaguely there being some conversation about driving innovation by having competitors being able to put their own kit and cabinets and stuff. Do you know much about what um, that might mean? I, I think there's a lot of talk about it and about innovation. I don't think we really ever saw innovation per se. Mm. I think it, it, you know, it did just become an, uh, an economics piece and you know, cabinets that were uh, in high-density areas got unbundled because that was cheaper and in low-density areas they didn't get unbundled. So I'm, I'm personally I'm waiting to see, um, see what that use case looks like. Do you think it was more of a lobbying position to oh, get I think, people to... I think there's been a number of marketing stunts around it. You know, we, um, we've we seen people um, sort of mid last year put out some stories around unbundling and, you know, talking about how they've lit stuff to uh, 10 gig. The reality is they were using, um, uh, you know, dark fibre, which has been available for, for years. Mm. And so, you know, it, it wasn't really a true test of... Um, what they could do with it. So, you know, personally, I, I think yeah, it's been more of a, a marketing piece for some ISPs to be able to go out and say, we should unbundle because, hey, we just um, pulled a stunt and lit something 10 gig. But um, the reality is uh, the you know, there isn't any sort of real innovation that they're saying, you know, if we do this, I can deliver this product to end users today. And that's something that they don't have. Mm. What, do you, what do you think um, the drivers are behind 10 gig fibre? I think you know for ten gig fibre, one of the th um, one of the things that's quite interesting is we've always been chasing bandwidth. Uh, you know, previous to UFP, where we, you know ADSL, you were saturating connections, exchanges would get busy at times and um, times of the day, or you know even stuff like bad weather could you know um, 
the rain and the, you know the ground copper, copper and you know yeah. um, wasn't a great combination and so you're always sort of at your limits of bandwidth and everybody's trying to just get you know can I get you know to 12 megabits per second can I get to 20 you know then VDSL rolls out and of course you had to be within I think 900 meters or a kilometer of the exchange which mm. and you know have reasonable quality fiber and you know it was just trying to get to that point that you could reliably have you know multiple things accessing the internet in the home and we've kind of gone well beyond that now so I think We've got the um, the supply, and it's just about you know generating the demand now. So what are you know what is it that's going to get delivered into the home? And I think that's that's kind of the flip. It's always been the other way around. Like people wanted to stream, you know Netflix, or people wanted to, you know do whatever they, um, you know was going to be more more bandwidth intensive or game with decent reliability. Uh, and you're always just trying to get enough speed enough performance to do that now i think you've got the performances what do you want to do with it yeah i think i don't know whether it's just because of where i was working at the time or i just had a kind of bias in the stuff i saw but i know there was a lot of negative press around ufb when it first launched but if you look at how the rollout's gone particularly relative to countries like australia and yeah. other, other places around <laughs> the world we're pretty bloody lucky to be where we are i think yeah i think um you know people pointed out at the time that it was a generational change in investment um that that you know laid the groundwork really for us to be able to continue to expand and and build stuff on to, you know connectivity um stuff on top of a decent quality physical network and i think you've really seen that you know the, the um the speed that we've gone from, I think, you know, a lot of the initial products were 50, um, 20 um, meg up, and then, you know, 100, 100 was, be, became pretty common. Now you've got, you know, um, your gig products, 10 gig, you know, and I think with the this hyper vibe um, um, fiber products, they're looking to do sort of 2 gig, 4 gig, 10 gig um, type splits. Just that rate of change has gone, you know, way beyond where you were with, um, you know, the rate of change around copper. Mm, yeah, for sure. I, I, going back to what you're saying about being a generational change, it certainly was. I mean, I remember just the issues when that first rolled out in terms of people's home wiring, yep. all sorts of poor quality stuff. Um, but it's come a long way not since I was looking at it like three or four years ago. So. Yeah, totally. And look, we, we use a lot, um, you know, connect people up in our business, the ancillary uh, to SD-WAN offerings, primarily around getting, making sure they're connected to cloud, um, to mm. cloud services. Now that a lot of that's, um, you know, no longer sitting on premise, you are accessing Office 365 or AWS, whatever it might be. And you can actually now affordably go and connect up all your locations around the country with um, cost-effective connections, whereas in, in the past you couldn't. Actually, you'd find that when you got into some of these areas, you're paying a huge amount of money to get 10 megabits per second worth of reliable business access. And this is just kind of um, flattened that. But kind of kind of brings us to another point around business use of GPON products. Um, some people have said they're not, you know, shouldn't be used for business, or that you need to buy higher versions of them with um, better SLAs to be able to use them. Well, you know, what are what are your thoughts? What are you seeing? Oh, look, I think uh, businesses have are now able to take advantage of lower price points than they were before. I remember looking at some fibre installs in excess of two or three hundred thousand dollars, which is which is nuts. It's crazy, um, yep. and I think that really the SLAs around restore and stuff are super important in terms of resilience and re redundancy. Um, looking at other connections, potential carrier diversity and stuff is yep. super important. Um, again. I think that more and more businesses using uh, cloud-based apps or accessing stuff, more of their traffic being uh, internet-bound as opposed to WAN-bound is uh, super important. That's, you're seeing an explosion of that at the moment. I remember when one of the big issues was 
customers would come to us and say, how do we rate on the people looking at YouTube yeah. and stuff during their <laughs> lunchtime? Um, yep. Because I'm running off like a 20 meg ADSL connection or something. Yeah, or, totally. Yeah. Or they were buying some, you know, bandwidth out of a data center that was, you know, sold as very expensive, very special bandwidth, right? And, and mm. typically it, it actually wasn't. I think, you know, we, um, the change we've seen is we just bundle internet with basically every connection now so people can uh, do direct internet breakout. And, think the you know we've we've talked about the economic change with GPON and that local access, but also having the three um, uh, international carriers now, and not re and you know in particular not having that Southern Cross monopoly, that's just um, dropped ban you know international bandwidth prices so much that um, you know now now you can afford to just say look you you get a hundred meg down at your office and you know, um, wherever Dunedin or something, and that 100 meg, you can use 100 meg to the internet. We don't really care. Whereas in the past, you had to bring it back to somewhere and then say, okay, now you're going to share 100 meg between, you know, 20 different offices. Um, and that, you know, it was really expensive. Now that, um, you know, that that's changed as well. well. What do you think about, you know, if you think about the old MPLS networks and WAN yep. connection and that kind of stuff, um, not just looking at the internet access um, layer, but the whole connectivity thing. How do you think the economics has changed around that? Oh, I think you know um, stuff. Uh, funnily enough, national bandwidth and, and, and uh, you know um, backhaul in New Zealand uh, got to a point where it was more expensive often than buying international bandwidth, um, and that's that's changed again. One of the big differences, um, I think, is uh, you know Chorus introduced a product around uh, attaching backhaul to a tail. So for an extra, you know, seven bucks a month or something on a connection, you didn't need to buy, you know, buy expensive backhaul and, you know, overcommitted and stuff. You know, if you're an ISP and you're going into a new region with your own equipment, you typically had to buy a gig minimum, if not more, which was expensive for those backhaul links at the time. And then, you know, you had to get enough users to justify the economics of that. Uh, so you, you kind of take, um, you get rid of that problem by being able to take it on. So I think overall the whole, you know, the, the whole market's shifted. And the benefit being to the customers that you, you kind of no, no longer need to worry about, you know, stuff, that, just really a waste of people's time, like I need to, you know, reduce YouTube use at this time or, you know, whatever it might be. And, and instead you can, you know, you fill your boots, um, worry a whole lot less around the connectivity piece. Mm. With, with availability um, SLAs as they are, or as they're yep. actually performing at the moment, what do you think a real big advantage is for not going down the GPON path or...? Yeah, it's an interesting question because the you know if you're a if a digger goes through a core fibre right, the guy that's in the ditch splicing them in the middle, you know in the middle of the night isn't sitting there looking at the fibre lines. Ones going, ones yeah, which, 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 which are the business <laughs> ones? Which ones have the higher SLAs right? So yeah. you, it depends what you're protecting against. So one of the things that we find um, with the Bitstream two products, which is the the most basic. Um, GPON product is it doesn't you know the SLA around the ONT um, tip, uh, you know doesn't have one unless you pay for an upgraded SLA um, so people say go buy a Bitstream 3 product for example which does have an SLA around uh, the ONT the ONT being the piece that lives in your um, office or your home and mm. actually terminates the fibre the reality is in a lot of cases you can just you know you, you're not you're still not protecting against that core fiber card so um, two things that we find quite useful one is use a 4g connection um, you know put it on a shared data plan or something like that so you only pay for um, what you use across the offices that's pretty cheap insurance um, the second one is actually putting in a, a second bitstream 2 connection can be more cost effective than a single bitstream 3 
connection and that, that actually gives you two ONTs. So while, while you don't have an SLA, sorry, you need to request an extra ONT from the LFC, but then with two, two ONTs, um, if one fails, it's not an SLA issue. You've actually got another one sitting there. So you kind of build it to the use cases. Um, there's still main offices um, for businesses in CBDs typically where we may put in a second fibre provider to prevent against the cut in the ground, um, the fi fibre being cut. Uh, but it, you just kind of um, you got to consider what scenarios you're actually trying to um, build for, and then construct the solution around the what ifs. Mm. So, why do you think more people aren't taking up SDN and these standard G point access tails? Oh, I think you know there's there's still a lot of um, fud out there. There's a lot of businesses that ha you know their their P and L is um, premised around keeping people on those so you know they mm. want to protect that revenue um, that may mean that you don't always get the um, the full story of what you know what what SD-WAN and what Bitstream 2 can um, do for your business so I think there's there's a little bit of that but um, I think the other thing is people you know this this is stuff that's typically been contracted in um, three-year to five-year cycles and so there's a lot of businesses that are just still under contract and as those contracts come up for re renewal they're um, starting to explore new options. Yeah. Um, so one point, uh, one qu one point you raised earlier that I think is a good one that um, I'll throw back to you. You mentioned what happens in the home or with the you know your firewall, your router, your Wi-Fi. Uh, talking about even two gig products, uh, what do you think? What do you think people are going to have to start looking at in their house to support uh, using you know to effectively using two gig internet? Yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know what the best way to explain it is, but if you think about the weakest link in a chain or where the tightest bottleneck's yep. going to be, your, intent, your experience on your device or whatever depends on you know, factors ranging from your device, how it's connecting to your modem, how it's connecting to the um, LFC network, and then how it's accessing content, whether it be locally or whether it be through um, a cache or something like that. Um, like, you say, like you said earlier, if you think about, uh, 10 gig taking away that access layer constraint. Yep. You still need to think about the other things. And even with people in ADSL connections, um, it, it's really interesting. A lot of the limitations are still in a home. One of the big things I think is going to be, I'd, I'd guess that there's a very small percentage of customers who have a modem capable of handling 10 gig. Mm. Um, you know, I'd probably even say that the majority of customers have only got modems that can handle um, some some are even 100 meg, let alone anything higher than that. Wi-Fi also a massive lim limitation. I think that a lot of streaming issues that people have actually uh, probably are not are not outside of the home. It, it, it'll be things like poor connectivity, but basic stuff. I think there's a lot of education that kind of needs to happen around that. Um, where you're just going to be driving more issues. Yeah. Well, I, I know the standard um, router that I get uh, got from my ISP with 100 meg fiber or uh, you know gig fiber, it's, you know they are pieces of junk. Mm. Uh, they they really are. You know they yep. um, they even you know they do struggle with 100 meg. They really struggle with community simultaneous streams. So you often even those that stuff at relatively low speeds, you end up needing to upgrade it. Uh, then then Wi-Fi, like you say, you know doesn't operate so well through walls and particular stuff like that. So you got guys, you know things like Google. Um, who have introduced their own mesh Wi-Fi, so you can put multiple devices around your home, and they'll they'll actually help boost the signal and do it in a simple way. You've, you know, you've had Wi-Fi repeaters in the past, but um, making that actually simple and accessible to people, I think, um, that that's really important. 
I think the cost of those are like they're like five nine nine for three three or yeah. something, isn't it? It's quite expensive. It Plus, is, you've yeah. got to have one right body access point hooked in. Yep. So you kind of got two access. Points. I think it really depends on what you got sitting at home. I'd I'd certainly recommend talking to an expert about how to get the most out of it because um, most people want, we've got a really complex setup at home yeah <laughs> we run a bit of kit surprise but surprise yeah. yeah so we're running a couple of uh, ethernet over power so power line oh, yeah. kit yep. for like the really latency critical devices so gaming PCs and um, just a TV the yep. stuff we don't want to run off Wi-Fi anything else like even general streaming Wi-Fi is good like but the biggest upgrade I think we made was buying a new modem. We can get Wi-Fi down the end of the street now and it's no issue. So. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think and flipping that around to a business context, often it's a firewall or an SD-WAN device or something you're putting at the uh, edge site and you're trying to use you know, gig or more bandwidth. I think one of the key things we see with that as well is looking at what happens when you turn all the features on. So if you're going to run, um, if you are running SD-WAN or some VPN, VPN technology, you're encrypting everything before you send it over the wire, which is great, but that does mm. take some uh, performance. You turn on stuff like deep packet inspection, um, IDS, IPS, some of these sort of features, they actually start to really impact the um, the performance as well, and so I think you know there's the home there's the home user side to it. You know, upgrade your modem, look at your Wi-Fi, uh, make sure you know um, make sure you do invest in that. And to your point, it's not always cheap. I think similar from the business perspective, it's not always cheap either. You've got to actually um, you know uh, get if, if you're going to use a fully featured um, device, in particular a security device, adding those features, you know, adding the um, something that's got sufficient capabilities, is going to be really important as well. Yeah, it was an interesting conversation when I was at Spark because. We knew that user education would stop a lot of our troubleshooting calls. Yep. Uh, but there were so many barriers to solving it. Like, I mean, I guess one lesser one was that if we were going to invest all this money to uplift the entire industry, you know, what kind of commitment would we get <laughs> yeah, from, yeah, <laughs> from yeah. other ISPs that would have that flow on effect? Yeah. Uh, but also, um, even basic stuff like, like you say, the cost of actually. Uh, upgrading your standard ISP modem is a is probably a massive massive thing. Um, yeah, so we, we knew there was be, be a huge reduction in calls. There was stuff around how much we invest in it. There was also um, even agreeing on some of the finer technical details was quite difficult. Yep. But I think yeah, I, I don't know. What the, I don't know what the solution is to be honest. I know a lot of people have tried not not just ISPs, but. Um, you know, other other groups out there, even including things like NetSafe and stuff, yeah, talked a yeah. bit about it. So, yeah, um, yeah. Well, look, I think you know, my my view is this is um, really great to see the increase in, in availability of these UFB products. You know, we are really lucky with what we've got in, in this country, and you know, it's it's so easy to just look across the ditch and see what's happened with Australia's rollout, and um, they just don't have an asset like. Uh, we do, and I think that that will end up holding back that, them as a, a country in um, future years. So, in my opinion, the UFB um, rollout was a massive success. It's really done exactly what uh, we, what we would have hoped for it to do in terms of that generational change. And now we're just starting to see these things happening. Uh, that you know, ten gig probably um, eight years ago when this stuff was starting to roll out probably seemed miles away, but you know, mm. um, we we there already, and I think that's um, you know fantastic to have that kind of a you know connectivity platform available yeah i think it's really easy to be cynical right like <laughs> looking at what are the motivations behind doing this and yeah, yeah. everybody's first blame the isp but i mean the reality is if you're launching 10 gigs to consumers at a really reasonable price point um 
you know, at, at, at a reasonably significant cost. If you look at the cost of support that across both the LFC and, and the ISP to be able to match that, um, it's not insignificant. Um, sure. And the winners are really are consumers of that, right? So Absolutely, yeah. And I think consumers are the ones that have won with the UFB rollout. So, you know, we, we're really excited to, to see um, these sorts of developments around UFB. We look forward to using these products with our customer base. And um, that's it for us um, for our first um, Instillery Top Shelf Tech Chat.